Can we really be confident that the Bible is completely accurate and reliable? Here's Pastor James Cadiz to address that. The bottom line is, when you read the Word of God, you know you're reading a real accurate book, okay? You're not reading like some, you know, sort of storybook or anything like that. It's an accurate piece of history. And I've talked about this before um, with our children's ministry teachers, and they know this. They teach the Bible as though it's real. You know, sometimes in children's ministry, because it is real, sometimes in children's ministries, you'll see people teach Bible stories in a way where it's like, well, you know, look, this here's a story of so-and-so, and they don't really get into the idea that, hey, this really happened. This actually took place. This is real history. This is something that really happened. It really took place and we can learn from it. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found that joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is You've picked a great day to join us for Light on the Hill as we begin a study through the Bible with Pastor James Cadiz. In the coming weeks, we'll take you from Genesis to Revelation at a fast pace. Today, we'll begin with an introduction to the series. Pastor James is with me now. We normally go through a particular book of the Bible at a much slower pace than what we're going to do in this new series. Will you share for a moment about why we're choosing to look at the Bible this way with sort of a bird's eye view? Jane, that's another great question. And the reason why we are choosing to go at it with such a bird's eye view and so quickly is because when a uh, concise history is being presented to you, you're better able to put all of the pieces together. And I think that it's good to do this every now and again. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was a series that I had done a few years ago, and I'm actually going to be doing another series that covers the whole Bible that I'm very, very excited about. And the whole idea is to get you familiar in a short period of time what the Bible looks like as a whole so that when you move forward, you're going to be able to learn more and more and more with a better understanding of where things were placed with a timeline, a better understanding of geography, and everything else that goes with that. Thanks, Pastor James. With that, let's begin the first of 16 studies as we take you through the Bible from start to finish. Well, we are about to hopefully, over the next 16 weeks, go through all of the Bible uh, the goal that we are going to sort of, or the goal that I've established for you guys on Sunday nights is to basically provide for you a summary, uh, as sort of a, a kind of a, almost a, a precursory kind of a survey of the Bible. And uh, we'll try and tackle somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere from between four to six books a week. And what we'll do is we'll give you kind of a summary of each of the books and, and uh, you know, a little bit of the significant, a few of the significant portions in the book. And the whole idea is to give you the kind of summary that will kind of educate you concerning uh, the Bible, give you an education concerning the areas that we cover. And hopefully by the time we're done with it, you'll have a very good, solid understanding of how it all works. Now, there's a lot of questions that come up with the Bible. Some of the most common questions that I get when it comes to the Bible is, uh, first of all, are the translations accurate, right? That's one of the big uh, questions that I get. And the answer to that, the very simple answer is they are remarkably accurate. 
Uh, they're more accurate than a lot of people realize and think. There's a lot of time that went into the translations of these texts. The Bible was believed to be written in three languages in particular. Okay, you've got Hebrew, you've got Greek. Hebrew for the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. There's part of the Old Testament that was believed to be written in uh, Aramaic. And of course, there is a little bit of debate. We might talk about it as we go through Genesis, that there was uh, the use of the Sumerian language within the first, particularly 11 chapters of Genesis. But that's a whole other thing that uh, we probably won't really talk about because there's some other, there's a lot of prefacing that has to go with that discussion. Um, the, the whole ancient Sumer discussion, there's a lot that has to be discussed with respect to that. But three major languages, is, uh, three languages in particular is, is a safe bet here. And a lot of interesting things kind of go with the ground with the Bible. One of the things that we can really understand and rely upon and believe is that it's accurate. The, the Word of God is true. The bottom line is when you read the Word of God, you know you're reading a real accurate book. Okay, you're not reading like some, you know, sort of storybook or anything like that. It's an accurate piece of history. And I've talked about this before um, with our children's ministry teachers, and they know this. They teach the Bible as though it's real. You know, sometimes in children's ministry, because it is real, sometimes in children's ministries, you'll see people teach Bible stories in a way where it's like, well, you know, look, this here's a story of so-and-so, and they don't really get into the idea that, hey, this really happened. This actually took place. This is real history. This is something that really happened. It really took place, and we can learn from it. And so a lot of the things that we read about in the Bible are absolutely uh, amazing. The stories are remarkable, and it's, it's particularly more of a blessing to us because we know that they all happen. Now, we talk about the books of the Bible. I don't really have to get into a big dialogue about the chronology of the New Testament. The Bible is broken up into two major portions. Of course, we know the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, uh, believed to be written or is understood to be written, that's the better way of putting it, uh, before the time of Christ. The New Testament, of course, after the time of Christ. And it kind of centers around that. And in the New Testament, we start at the book of Matthew, we go through the Gospels, we end in the book of Revelation, and of course in the Old Testament, bear with me, some of this might seem very precursory and basic to you, we start with the book of Genesis, and of course we end with the book of Malachi. Now, one of the other questions that I get, is the Bible in its orders of its books chronological? And the answer to that is no. As a matter of fact, some of the books, when they are written, the books themselves are not written chronologically. So in other words, there are things you might read about in the Bible, in a particular book of the Bible, and it, it is not necessarily written in chronological order. You'll see examples of this when you go into the books of the Chronicles and the Kings and so on and so forth. There's a lot to learn from that, and um, it's a, a very, very interesting thing. Now, it's interesting because the Bible is actually, when it was originally written, was written in a smaller amount of books in the Old Testament as what you see here. And that's because several of the books of the Old Testament were actually put together. They were kind of bunched up. Like, for example, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel were all bunched up. 1st and 2nd Chronicles, they were all sort of believed to be written as, as part of sort of one book. So 1st and 2nd Samuel was not called 1st and 2nd Samuel. It was called 1st and 2nd Kings. And then 1st uh, and 2nd Kings is actually referred to as 3rd and 4th Kings, believe it or not. Kind of an interesting thing. So they all sort of bunch up together into a compilation of books. Either way, it's all there. We kind of broke it up a little bit differently sometime around the time of Constantine, and that's why we get them the way they are. Now, 
in terms of chronology with the New Testament, you don't have to be too concerned with the chronology there. I mean, obviously, learning chronology is kind of important. We will talk about it as we go through the books. But in the Old Testament, it's so different in terms of the order of the books that it is a good idea to kind of know where they fall, okay? For example, let's go over all the Old Testament books for just a second, okay? I'm going to read to you. I kind of wrote these down. I'm going to read to you the order of the books as we believe they were written, okay? So the first book... Uh, that was written. Anybody have any idea what the first book was? Everybody say Genesis? Yes? No, not true, actually. There was a book that was believed to be older than the writings of Genesis, and that is Job. That's right, okay? So let's go over this order. It gets kind of interesting, and I'll read them to you. The first book is Job. We really don't know the dating of Job, to be honest with you. We don't know the dating of its writing. We certainly know that it was after Adam and before Moses, <laughs> okay? And then we get to Moses' time, which then puts us into the first five books of the Old Testament, which would have been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And actually, the book of Genesis, when you look at the first, uh, I would say, 11 to 15 chapters of Genesis, it would appear as though Moses takes on the job of editing other stories that had been passed down to him concerning creation. And, of course, we know they're very accurate. We know they're very real. But chronologically speaking, we know that Job was written first, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, of course, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, that's still a, a pretty accurate order. Okay, then you get into both books of Samuel, so first and second Samuel would have been written, okay, and then it would, the second part of Kings with that would be with it, okay, but that was written in a much later time. Let me just read the orders to you. So it would have been Ruth, Samuel, we would have then seen the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Why, if you really think about it, think it through for a second. Samuel chronicles for us what? The life of David. David was the one who wrote uh, the Psalms. The Song of Solomon was written by Solomon himself. Proverbs were believed to be written mostly by him and Ecclesiastes as well, right? And then after that, you get into Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah. Then you get into Nahum and Zephaniah. Okay, those, those guys there. Then after that, you get into Jeremiah, Lamentations, Habakkuk, then the writing of the kings, then Daniel, then Ezekiel. And you have to think this through because Jeremiah would have written before Daniel because Daniel quotes Jeremiah's writings. You know, there's ways that we establish the chronology of these books. Okay, so by the way, there's a lot of information I'm giving you here. Just sit down and enjoy the show. Okay, and, and what will happen is next week we'll actually start getting into the actual specifics where we, we'll take our time with these orders and different things like that. Okay, just so that you know. So I don't want you to be so overwhelmed with everything I'm telling you. Just sit back and enjoy a little bit of the show here as we go over the issue of chronology. Okay. So Jeremiah, Lamentations, Habakkuk, Kings, Daniel, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, and I am reading from notes because although I did have these, I do have these memorized, I don't want to miss any of them, right? Then you get into the book of Chronicles, and Chronicles would have been written just before Ezra, okay, as we see here. Then you get into Esther, then believe it or not, you ready for this? It's not Nehemiah, then the minor prophets and Malachi, it's then Nehemiah and then Malachi. Interestingly enough, when we talk about the dating of these books and how they are written, and of course Malachi is a very uh, significant person, and will actually well, all these guys were significant. All the authors of these books were were significant, and so that is an interesting thing. Now let's back up from with respect to chronology. Then we can get into the Gospels. The Gospels were written um, all during earlier times. Uh, certainly, when I say earlier times, I would say at least 60 A.D. and before, right? 
so probably anywhere from as early as 48, I would say 48 AD to as late as probably 62, 63 AD, except one gospel, and that would have been the gospel of John. John would have been written a little bit later. And of course, we know the last writing of John the apostle would have been the book of Revelation, which he very likely wrote in somewhere around 92 AD or 93 AD. He was certainly in his 90s when he wrote the book, was an old man that they had tried to kill several times unsuccessfully. Uh, matter of fact, it's interesting, the, the craziest attempt that they made on the apostle John's life was they tried to boil him in hot oil. And when that didn't work and it didn't hurt him and it didn't affect him, they basically exiled him to an island in uh, Asia Minor called Patmos. And that's kind of where he wrote uh, the book of Revelation. So kind of some interesting stuff that we get from there. So with that, let's go back and let's start. I'm going to actually use my table of contents in my Bible to kind of cue me regarding the books. And we'll just discuss some of these books together and learn some things. Of course, Genesis is exactly what it means. And that is our origins, our beginnings. And in Genesis, we learn everything from the beginning of man to the beginning of creation. It carries on all the way to the stories of early Israel when Israel is established. Exodus speaks of the Exodus of Israel, right? And of course, Exodus leaving from the slavery in Egypt all the way to the promised land. Then we get into Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We get really into the books of the law where we learn a lot about the rules that God set apart for his people. And it's interesting because God's intention with Israel was very clear from the early days of Abraham. He tells Abraham, he says, hey, listen, your responsibility, Abraham, and your people is to be an example and a light to the rest of the world. And I want to rule you. In other words, I want to be your ruler. I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. I will rule you. I will move you. And that was a very special time as we read, especially as we read the stories in the book of Exodus, how we see God moving them with the cloud, you know, by day and fire by night. We learn about all the works that were done in the desert and all the amazing things. And there's a lot of stuff that you will pick up in the law. You know, it's really interesting. If you were to open up a medical manual that discusses some of the healthiest, safest practices in terms of eating, cleanliness, so on and so forth, you would think that you were reading some of the Old Testament law. It's that well written. And there's so many valuable things that you can grab from the Old Testament law. And we'll see that within the first five books, oftentimes referred to as the Pentateuch. Now, when we get into Joshua, we actually learn about the sort of the trading of hands, okay? And uh, from Moses's leadership all the way into Joshua's leadership, and Joshua's leadership was certainly a slightly different style than that of Moses, but very similar as well, simply because we know that Moses discipled Joshua and we see God using him. Judges is kind of a depressing book in many ways because Judges, you learn about all the different judges of Israel, and uh, many of them were not godly. Many of them did not love the Lord. And it's also kind of interesting because you see and read about a time in the book of Judges where there was nobody really ruling the people who was godly and the, and the people turned away from, from the Lord. And it's a pattern that you see in Judges. You know, God deals with his people. He spanks them. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. And so they say, oh Lord, please, we repent. Forgive us. God does it. And then they get confident. They get cocky and they fall back down. And it happens again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Of course, one of the most famous judges of Israel was who? Anybody? Samson, that's right. And we'll learn about Samson. And uh, certainly Samson would have very likely been a contemporary, by the way, with Samuel. 
in, in one respect. They, Samuel would have sort of been uh, born around the time that Samson had gone bye-bye. So there's some interesting things with timing and dating. You know, it's funny. Everybody looks at the books of the Bible, and I heard this when we were in Israel. Man, I look at all these stories, and it feels like they're just so far apart, but everything is so close together, and the proximity, the location is so close, and it, you just never realize just how you know, uh, closely tied in Everybody is when you read about it in the Bible. So, of course, then we get into First and Second Samuel. There is some argument with First and Second Samuel as to who wrote those books. Um, certainly, it would not have been Samuel that wrote those books because Samuel dies in the dialogue of First Samuel, right? But we'll talk about that. There's some interesting things that we can draw from that. Then we get into First and Second Kings, and like I told you, really, First Samuel and Second Samuel was always called. First and Second Kings, and First and Second Kings was always called Third and Fourth Kings, right? That was kind of how Israel had always looked at it, and we learn about the. Now it's interesting with the, with First and Second Kings when we get into there. First and Second Kings will give you a picture of the kings of the north, the northern kingdom, and the kings of the southern kingdom. Okay. Oh, by the way, let me back up. In Samuel is where we see the tragedy take place, where Israel decides that they want an earthly king instead of God being the king. Okay. God warned them through Samuel, this is a bad idea. And the people said, no, we still want a king. And so, of course, God says, okay, I'll give you what you want, but you're going to regret it. So they get Saul, and certainly they regretted it, right? And they even regretted parts of David's rule and Solomon's rule and Jeroboam's rule. And we just, we go down with the kings, you know? Now, some interesting things about the kings. We know that after Solomon, what ended up happening was Israel was then broken up. They were split up into two areas, right? You had what was called Israel or the northern kingdom, and that was 10 tribes to the northern part of Israel. Then you had what was called Judah, the southern kingdom, which of course was two tribes. And it's always easy to say what the two tribes of the southern kingdom are. Anybody know? Anybody remember? That's right. Benjamin and Judah. Very good. Now, considering Benjamin and Judah, obviously we know that lots of Levi hung out over there and there were also other remnants you saw, some of Reuben and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is the main tribes were Benjamin and Judah. Now, there were great divisions between them because, well, let me think this through for a second. There was not a single, not one single godly king to the north when we talk about the tribes of the northern kingdom. There was not a single godly king. They were pagan the whole time. They were taken in exile almost a couple hundred years before the southern kingdom was taken in exile because they were ruled by pagan kings. And there was something, I wanna, I wanna think this through. I wanna say there was something like 16 to maybe 18 dynasties that were represented in the northern kingdom. In other words, there were no families, right, that stayed on the throne. But yet God promised David that he would always stay on the throne and there was only one dynasty in the southern kingdom. And that dynasty was King David's dynasty if you remember, right? And so if you think this through to its fullest extent, we know that David's dynasty will never end because Jesus himself, who's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, was a descendant of David. And remember, God made a promise to David that that would happen, right? Now, thinking all of this through, keeping all of this in mind, first and second Kings was actually designed to chronicle the behavior of the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. The kings of the north, the kings of the south. And you get some very detailed descriptions of the northern kingdom and the actions of the southern kingdom. Now, when we get into Chronicles, that is not the case. Chronicles is, we all call it first and second Chronicles, but what the Bible, what it's always been referred to in the Bible is the Chronicles 
of the kings of the south. The chronicles of the kings of Judah is actually how it's, how it's referred to, right? Melaka Yahuza, okay? So the kings of Judah, and it chronicled them. You did not get any chronicling of the kings of the north. The only time the kings of the north were ever mentioned, or the northern kingdom was ever mentioned in the chronicles is when they crossed the paths of those in the southern kingdom. And uh, the Bible does refer to a book of chronicles that chronicled the life of the northern kings, but we don't know where that is. We haven't seen it. Nobody's heard of it. It's gone and will probably be forever gone. So that's where we uh, get to when we get into chronicles. Now, of course, Ezra, Ezra again is chronicling, of course, what happened as they left from the time of being taken away. Uh, by Babylon. And of course, seven years has gone by and Ezra sort of chronicles the time right after that seven-year period, almost up to the point of close to a hundred years after that first 70-year period where they were taken back and then went back into Israel. So Ezra chronicles that. Nehemiah also chronicles a time very close to that. Nehemiah chronicles the time where Artaxerxes Salangemanus in 445 BC, actually March 14th, 445 BC, if my memory serves me correctly, makes a declaration to go rebuild in Israel. And we see Nehemiah go down there to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he goes down there. And so we see the chronicling of that. And that's going to be a great book when we get into that. We'll get into that the week after next. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Esther, of course, this is really cool. If you look at Ezra, and you get into the book of Ezra chapter 6. You want to talk about chronology being so weird, right? If you get into Ezra, you go to Ezra chapter 6. And what goes in between Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7? There's a 56-year gap, okay? So that gap between Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7 is the book of Esther, okay? And so Esther is significant. There's, some, there's a great story behind that. We learn about a, a fellow by the name of Haman and Mordecai and just a great book and lots of drama, you know? And of course, Job, as I told you, is a book that was written, we believe, far before any of the other books. And there's some neat things that we learn concerning the spiritual realm, some things we learn about the way God behaves towards us and looks towards us. And again, another classic example of how God can take evil things that happen to us and use it for his glory and, of course, for his good. Now, Psalms is interesting because Psalms was mostly written by King David. And of course, that's exactly what it is. It is a book of Psalms. It's a book of songs. And there's some neat things in there. Of course, some songs, if you hear them, they can be, you know, sort of upright, and, you know, happy and upbeat. And, you know, they make you sort of laugh a little bit. And, you know, you know, you kind of, you dance in a little bit with it. And they're a lot of fun. And then there are some songs that are like, I'm so depressed. I just want to kill myself. And then there are some songs that just seem angry. You know, like some of that punk rock music, just kill your mom, kill your dad, you know, that kind of thing. Well, the Psalms is kind of that way, not in the sense that it's got different genres of music. However, what it is is these books of poetry are beautiful because what they do in essence is they are songs that are written from the heart, okay? Matter of fact, there's one particular psalm that is a very long one that the whole psalm that's in written is, is really a big acronym, you know? It starts with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, and then, and then the, the, you know, that portion starts with that uh, you know, with that first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it kind of goes through. And it, by the way, for any of you that want to learn Hebrew, that's a great way to do it. You can actually go through that portion of the Psalms. I believe it's 119, if I remember correctly. You go through the Psalms and then you see this acronym uh, consisting of the whole Hebrew alphabet. And it's really beautiful when you actually see it in the Hebrew Bible where it's written. It's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful thing. The Psalms are a great book and something that we should always go to on a regular basis. I like Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. They say one for every day, you know, and uh, 
really, really is the book of wisdom. You know, there's just little tiny quick sayings. You ever have that happen where you're sitting down with somebody and they just say something that just clicks with you? You know, it just, it wasn't profound, you know, wasn't anything that would be sort of, you know, uh, conversely profound to you when you first hear it. But then when you think about it, you go, wow, that was deep, man. That was heavy. Whoa. You know, kind of one of those things. And it just, it's obvious it's in your face, but it just finally, for the first time, it just really hit somebody. You know what I mean? And, uh, just, just, you know, one of these things that just kind of wakes you up. Proverbs is filled with statements like that. You're listening to Pastor James Cadiz on Light on the Hill and the first of 16 messages in our new Through the Bible survey. We'll look into Ecclesiastes in just a moment. You can access this teaching and much more online at lightonthehillradio.com. You can also listen to Pastor James through the Light on the Hill app and podcast. After you've enjoyed the content, share it with a friend or family member. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. It's an opportunity to thank the Lord for what He's doing in and through this ministry. Whether it's a simple comment or question related to the message, a praise report, or prayer request, we want to hear from you. There's a place to contact us at our website, lightonthehillradio.com. If God leads you to support us financially, we truly appreciate that help to remain a biblical voice on the internet and radio, especially at such a critical time in human history. People today really need to hear God's truth. It's so encouraging and life-giving. Your support is a part of helping us reach thousands with the love and truth of Christ. You can visit lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Now back as promised, here's Pastor James. Ecclesiastes is kind of an interesting book. You know, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you just hear about a guy who basically says, I tried this and it didn't work. I, I tried trying to get into the best food to find my fulfillment, and that didn't work. I tried to find it in women, hundreds of women, and that didn't work. Actually, to be exact, almost a 1,000 women, over a 1,000 women. And he basically said, I've tried everything under the sun, anything you can think of, and I'm empty. The only thing that is not vanity is the Lord. That's the conclusion he comes to. We'll continue our Through the Bible survey next time on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz, a presentation of Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. That peace only comes from you I have found That joy only comes from you Cause all I need is 